Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by guest speaker, Pastor Ken Gott. And just saw the incredible things that God was doing, but, but never really got hooked into the, the whole kind of transformation thing. You know, when you're, when you're a young pastor, you just want to have a mega church. That's all you ever want. You just want thousands and thousands of people. And, and you're not even praying about it. You just, that's what you want. And so, uh, um, anyway, that gets burnt out, out of you after a while. And then you, you kind of realize that probably the will of God is the best thing. And so, uh, and so you know, we've had a journey. And then about five years ago, um, I was just coming out of um, what was a very desert experience for me and my wife. It was like a perfect storm that had been created. And, um, and I just had to kind of find my identity again, having led revivals, having been in revivals, and, uh, and having been on some of the biggest platforms in the world. We had just uh, preached to 22,000 people in England, in England. I mean, I didn't even think there were 22,000 Christians in England. And there I am, preaching, I think, to everyone. And, uh, and then, then we hit this desert, and uh, it, it lasted for about five years of just testing and trial um, from God. And then when we emerged, it was, um, well, what are we now? What do we do now? And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, call Ed Silvoso. And so I, uh, I looked into my mobile, and uh, that's a cell phone, by the way. And, uh, and then uh, I looked at my contacts, and there was Ed's name. And I, so I just went like that and just pressed it. And, and uh, it rang out, and I nearly put it down because I didn't, I didn't, it was this is like years and years and years after we'd been together. And uh, anyway, he answered, and I said, Ed, it's Ken Gott speaking. And he's just always very gracious. And he said, hey, Ken, how are you doing? What's going on? And I said, listen, um, it's a story, but what I want to do is uh, I just need to connect with you. The Holy Spirit has just spoken to me and said that uh, I was to connect back with you because you were going to be part of my destiny. And uh, I heard it just so clear from God. And so um, he says, okay, come to the conference. So this was in, in, a, in September, five years ago. And uh, I said, great. Um, just tell me where it is. Is it in America? Yeah, he says, it's in America. I said, great, just tell me where it is, and I'll be there next month. And he says, well, it's in Hawaii. And I goes, what? Hawaii? Uh, I mean, to me, like this is this exotic island somewhere in the Pacific that Britain never go to, you know, you just see pictures of and things like that. Because I didn't even know aeroplanes could fly that far, you know, from England. And, and uh, I said, do you know how far it is from Sunderland to Hawaii, to Honolulu? He says, that's the deal. I'll see you there. And I thought... He'd be more gracious, especially when the Holy Spirit told me to do this and I was obedient. I thought he would just so much more gracious than that. 
I never made it. I, I couldn't raise the finance. I couldn't find the time in my calendar. And, but 13 months later, I turn up in Hawaii all alone, just me. My wife refused to go. And she'll go, she will go now. This probably needs batteries, eh? yeah. Is that, is that good? Okay. Maybe I was holding it. Yeah, maybe I was holding it. It was my fault. It's not your fault. It's my fault. And so um, I go in there and I see cities, stories of cities and nations being transformed. When I was with Ed 25 years ago, that was not the case. It was a concept. It was, let's see if this will happen. He had uh, resistentia being transformed. He had written uh, that none should perish and, uh, and prayer evangelism. But really, that's as far as it was going. But now, the Holy Spirit was transforming whole cities and whole nations. Now, that should encourage anybody. But when you've just come out of a desert, it's one of the worst things ever. Because it's like... While I'm in the desert, the Holy Spirit's transforming cities. And, and you think, well, I missed it. It was like, where was I? And uh, God, and, you know, just prior to this kind of experience, an apostolic father that I really trusted um, actually just cursed me over the telephone and said, Ken, if you leave me, you will be nothing. Europe will not even know your name. You might as well leave the ministry because as far as your ministry is concerned, God will find another if you do this. And it was a real curse. Now you deal with those words, but every now and again, they just keep coming back. And I'm sitting there in Honolulu thinking, maybe he was right. Maybe... Everything he said was right, that actually everybody's doing it. And, uh, and here I was struggling just through this situation. And, uh, and yeah, so I went back to my room and it would be a great story if it was that I, I had an open vision of, of Europe being transformed and on fire and I was ready to go back home. But actually I just went into my room and just cried. I just fell on the bed and I just wept. And then I heard the Lord speak to me. And he said this, he said, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. I will restore the years that the locust has eaten. And then there was just scripture after scripture after scripture just kept coming to my mind. And uh, there's nothing like being encouraged by the Lord. You know, it's great to encourage each other. But when it's the Lord himself who encourages you, he knows the exact words to say. He knows how to say them. And uh, I actually felt faith come to my heart. And, and all of that week... Hearing the stories, I said, no, England will be transformed. Europe will be transformed. And Lord, you haven't given up on me yet. Well, here we are five years later. 
And I'm now the international director of Transform Our World with Ed Silvoso. Isn't that incredible? So, so this is what I do. <laughs> I go around the world transforming nations. When five years ago, I felt actually God had found another. And I, I want you to take that word, word and, and receive it this morning. Because I felt the Lord wanted me to share that. I felt he wanted me to share it because there are some here today that feel it's passing me by. It's moving on. And it's like, what is it in it for me? Well, I come back, I come from the, the city of Sunland, as Pastor Greg had said. It's a city of 300,000. We're in a tri-city area of one and a half million people. The biggest city is Newcastle, and then we have a university city called Durham, and we're all 12 miles apart from each other. So it's an urban, an urban area of the United Kingdom. So every square mile, 5,000 people live. So we're really boxed in there, and so you could plant a church every mile, and you'd have 5,000 people to go at. 32 years ago, um, I, I was a police officer. You can hardly believe that. I'm too nice to be a Oh, then maybe there's nice policemen here this morning. Yeah, there are, there are nice ones, absolutely. And they're all nice. And so uh, adopt a cop, that's right. Bless them. And so uh, <clears throat> I was um, actually a detective in CID. That's the Criminal Investigation Department of the British Police. Um, prior to that, I was a, a uniformed beat officer. Prior to that, I was CSI. Can you believe that? I was so good, they made programs about me on the TV. It was incredible. And, uh, so I started life as a CSI and then, and then into uniform and then a detective. But at 27 years old, when life was just perfect. You ever had a perfect life? Well, we never get a perfect life, but you know, sometimes there are just those seasons when it's just near perfect. It's just like everything seems to be going according to plan. And I was in that season. I had uh, a beautiful wife. I still have a beautiful wife. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had a young, beautiful wife. And, uh, and, who is as young looking today as she ever has been. Has <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> this been streamed live? It is. Tell me it is. Yes. And she's awake in England right now. And she's found the website and she's looking at, Lois, I love you. Okay. And uh, two beautiful children, two beautiful girls. And uh, God was moving in England, and we, I belonged to an incredible, incredible church. I mean, it was a progressive church. It was a growing church. It was, um, it was alive in God. It was in incredible. And uh, God was moving in England with a thing called the charismatic renewal. So there was a move of the Spirit that was changing the face of, of how we did church. So we were moving into open worship. There was dance coming in and freedom in worship. The apostolic ministry was being 
um, emphasized by the Holy Spirit in the prophetic ministry as well. And my father-in-law, who was my pastor, um, was really one of these guys that wanted to be on the cutting edge of everything that God was doing. And so he would take us down to um, this camp meeting. Now, you know, I know in America, camp meetings are not really camping, are they? No. You go to five-star hotels and you call it a camp meeting. I, I can't work it out. But, but we went camping, really camping, intense, and in, and in caravans that you pulled, trailers I think you might call them. And so we would go there and we would pitch our tent and, uh, you know, just get the girls sorted. They were kind of small and, and, uh, and then you would go to the meeting and there were 6,000 people in there and uh, it was just alive. It was fantastic. But one night I went, in my perfect life, I walked in and as I walked through the door, I started to weep. So I'm a police officer at the time, and one of the things you're told is that the policemen don't cry, or at least not in front of criminals, you don't cry, okay? <laughs> so I, uh, I'm crying, and it's not just like a, a weep, it's a hard sob. It's I'm embarrassed, and I'm embarrassed at, at, at just what I'm doing, I'm I'm, trying, I'm telling myself, stop it. What are you doing? You've got a perfect life. What's going on? It was nothing to cry about. All the bills are getting paid. Everything's fine. And I cannot stop crying. I'm just sitting down. I went with a friend and I'm embarrassing him so much that he decides he, to disown me. He just decides that he doesn't know me at all. You know what? People are looking at me. He's talking this way. And, and uh, he was my best friend. Was my best friend. So uh, the meeting goes on. The service goes on. And the worship is incredible. And then, uh, you know, they, they do the announcements. They take the offering up. And I cried even more at that. And um, never cry through an offering. It's the joy of the Lord. And so... Then Terry Virgo, Virgo got up. He's an apostolic guy in England. And uh, he turns to the book of Nehemiah and he talks about Jerusalem. And he says at that time, the walls were down and the gates were burning. And the people in Jerusalem had learned how to survive. They'd learned how to get by for another day, even though an enemy might come in and, and, and ravage and, and plunder. They, they had learned how to hide. They had learned how to talk out of situations. They, they had learned zero conflict in, in that sense. But this was the city of God. This was, this was God's city and it was in reproach. It was a disgrace. There was shame upon it. But yet the people who lived there, the remnant, actually were unconcerned about the city itself. They were more concerned about their own personal survival. This was not going to be something God would put up with for very long. And I think he probably looked at every heart in the city 
and actually couldn't find one that he could stir enough to do something about. But there was one. There was one but who didn't live in the city, but lived in, lived away from the city, was known as Nehemiah, was known as a cupbearer to the king. So he himself was actually in slavery, but he was outside of the city. God knew if he got the news, he'd be stirred enough to do something about it. And so he arranged it. He arranged it where Nehemiah would inquire, how are they doing in Jerusalem? And when he got the news, that news that I've just explained to you, the Bible says that Nehemiah started to weep. He started to cry and he started to fast and he, and he started to pray. And I, I realized why I was crying that night. I realized that this wasn't just a, an emotional thing. This, this was something from God that God was stirring my heart along certain lines. And, and it says that Nehemiah couldn't rest and even was prepared to risk his own life in order to do something about that situation. So he asks for leave of absence. He asks that the king allows him to, to just go to Jerusalem and do something about this mess. And we know, we know the result was that Jerusalem was built, uh, the walls were rebuilt, the, ga the gates that had been burning were restored in, in record time. It was a miracle. But Terry Virgo said this. He said, just as Jerusalem's walls are down, and their gates were burning. He said, the walls of our society are down. And our gates are burning. The moral walls of society. The integrity walls of society. The respect walls of society. The family walls of society. Whatever you want to call the walls are down. And our gates are burning. And the problem is... We, the church, have learned to live with it. We've learned what to say and what not to say. Now, you need to know it's a lot worse in England than it is in America. You, you, you still have that, that, that God feeling about you. But in Europe, zero, nothing at all. And so we've learned, we've learned to say the right things and we've We've learned to do the right things and, uh, and it's like, let's go for zero conflict in that sense. Let's not make too many waves because, you know, we might, we might be persecuted here or this might stop here in terms of, of benefit or whatever. And in a sense, we, we can be as guilty as those people that were in Jerusalem. If the walls... In America are not down, they're certainly beginning to crumble. In Europe, they're down. You see, this, this that I'm referring to was 35 years ago when I cried in that camp meeting. 35 years our walls were down. And I wish I could say that 
that actually the graph has gone up like this, that things have got steadily better from that moment on, but actually in 35 years, they haven't just gradually got worse, they've got a lot, lot worse. We need more than Sunday morning church now. We need more than meeting in buildings because, you know, it's just not working. Now it's working for us because we love it. We love coming to church and we, we love the presence of God and we, we love, you know, um, we love what he does for us and what he does to us and, and we love being with each other. But it's not working in relation to walls that are down and gates that are burning and society that is crumbling around us. So in some ways we have to redefine how we do church. And probably we need to start doing it away from our buildings. In the buildings, but away from the buildings. And I think that's what God's doing right now. He's redefining church as we know it. For us in England, we get somebody saved. We actually can't say come to church on a Sunday morning. It's just too much of a gap. Now, sometimes we get them there. But actually, we decided the best thing was just to have church where they are, where life happens, 24-7. Now that's enormous human resource. That actually costs a lot more than finding a facility and having Sunday morning church. Because you are on call 24-7. It means your life is no longer free in that sense. You start planting church organic church where life happens you're on it 24 hours a day we need a not just a revelation but we need something from the holy spirit that stirs us to the point where we come to appreciate actually that's what it should look like that each and every one of us are engaged in doing church wherever life happens in the middle of all of that we have a prayer room hallelujah so when I got the invite to come to Convergence House of Prayer I knew nothing about you I had to google you but don't tell the pastors <laughs> I knew I knew the relationship links but I didn't uh, I didn't know what you did what you did I didn't know anything about you so I did some research and and I want to tell you, you're rare. Because not many people build their ministry around a prayer room. They build them a lot around a Sunday morning. But not many build them around a prayer room. So we didn't actually start this way. We were building Sunday church 32 years ago. And you know, if you become, if you practice something long enough, You'll become good at it. It's the same in America, is it? Then, yeah, because that's what it's like in England, right? If you practice, you get good at it. It's just human nature. And so if you practice at doing church, you'll just become good at it. You'll become good at your musical ability. You will be good at your worship leading. You will be good... At your preaching, you will be good at, 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 at your operational level. You will be good at sitting in pews. 
and standing up at the right time and, and doing the right thing and just raising your hands. And actually, if we're not careful, we'll just become so good at what we do, we just become professional. And we, we, we turn into professional Christians who do the, the right thing at the, the right time. And uh, we did that. So at 30 years old, we planted. And uh, so the, for the, almost the first decade, I just became good at what I did. I, I was a much better preacher back then than I, than I am now. Because I, I really, really practiced that. I really concentrated you know, my efforts on, on what I was going to say, how I was going to say it. I was counting how many people were coming to the church. You know, I mean, I, I wanted numbers. I wanted to know, is the offering graph going up? How's my tape sales? And, uh, and uh, you know, and all of that, it was just, and, and how I looked was so important. Yeah. I wore a black power suit every Sunday, and I demanded everybody did the same. You dress up for Jesus. Yeah. This is as good as it gets now, but <laughs> back, back then, I dressed up for Jesus, and I, re I read Charisma magazine. Is that still on the go? It still is? Okay, so I read Charisma magazine, and I saw that the mega church pastors wore black power suits, white shirts, and big loud ties, you know, so I got these big, bright, bright colored ties, and I had a guy in the, in the back, and, and, and he would wipe me down, you know, he would just make sure there was not one speck on me, and I would make my entrance five minutes into the meeting, because I honestly believed when I walked in, the anointing went up. <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but actually it's very sad, it's a very sad story. <laughs> and I'd just become professional. Unanointed. Good, good, but unanointed. Unanointed professional. And then the Holy Spirit started to break out. Trust the Holy Spirit to spoil a good thing. And I heard that this guy from South Africa called Rodney Howard Brown was releasing the anointing, and people were laughing in church. For me, a professional, this was terrible. This was, you, you should not do this. I mean, please. And so I switched the TV on, and there he was, and, and he was just touching people. They were falling on the floor, and they were laughing, and oh, my goodness, me. And then, and then this thing in Toronto started happening. And uh, I read about it in, in one of our newspapers, sent a spread about, because it had come over to England. It had come over to England, carried by the Church of England, the Anglicans. And, and there was this famous church in England called Holy Trinity Brompton. And, and they were the, the Anglicans who should know better. <laughs> were not sitting on pews anymore. They were rolling off their pews. And, and rolling on the floor and laughing. And, and so the, the newspapers thought this was great news. And, and the BBC Radio 4, you know, took 
reporters in there and they got reports and I was listening to this and, and I judged it and criticized it and I said, that's not God. Lord, we need, we need it. But let's get back to normal. <laughs> then my phone rang in June 1994. My best friend, I had a new best friend. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to disown me, you cannot be my best friend. So he was still a friend, but he wasn't my best friend. So now my new best friend phones me from Windsor. Do you know who lives at Windsor? Tell me. The Queen. The Queen lives at Windsor. And I'm getting a phone call from my friend who also lives at Windsor. And he says, Ken. Have you heard what? Have you heard what's going on at Holy Trinity Brompton? I said, I have. <laughs> and I'm just about to tell him I'm disgusted. <laughs> when he says, we're going to find out what it's about. And I said, really? He said, yeah, we're going to. There, there's a special leaders meeting. And we, I'm taking my team and for three days, the Holy Spirit has been telling me that I have to phone you, that you ought to come with us. This is the third day. He said, so, will you come with us? I said, ah, I'll pray about it. Because that means no in, in Christianese, you know. That it's, uh, it doesn't mean you're going to pray about it at all. It's just you haven't got the guts to tell the guy. And so we can, okay, I'll pray, I'll pray about it. He says, okay, let me know, let me know. I says, okay, I'll, I'll ring you back tonight. Put the phone down. And my wife said, who was that? I said, it was Wes. What did he want? I says, well, you know that stuff that's going on? He wants me to go to it. And she said, really? I said, yeah, but I'm not going. She said, well, I think you should. I said, what? She said, no, Ken, I think you should go. If he wants you to go, you should go. You see, by this time, I'm totally backslidden. I'm not insane, but I'm backslidden. I'm, I'm into my thing, and I'm not into Jesus. So I'm not into intimacy. I'm just into ministry. I'm into preaching. I'm into growing a church. And it was growing, but it wasn't growing because the Holy Spirit was doing anything. It was growing because I knew church growth stuff. That was it. And so she says, I think you should go. Because you, can, you, you can tell yourself you're doing okay, but your wife knows when you're not. I mean, she's living with you. She knows when you're not praying. She knows when you're not reading the Bible except to get a sermon. She knows when you've stopped talking about the Lord in that kind of tender way. And she says, I think you should go. And I said, uh, it's a five-hour drive. <laughs> she says, well, get the train. I said, it's three hours. <laughs> she says, well, fly down. It's only, and then she said, it's only 50 minutes. 
And the guy lives next to Heathrow. So, remember the days we used to have to dial for a flight? You have to ring up. Young people, we had to ring people up for a flight. Yeah. There was a time we had to lean over and do this for the passenger window in the car. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't a clue what we had to endure. We had to get up and change the TV. So I rang, I rang British Airways and I said, I want to go to London and come back the next day. And she said, uh, I'll have a look. She has a look, comes back and she said, we have one seat left. So I should have known then. It's a Holy Ghost trap right there. <laughs> he sets them up, he does. He's, uh, our life is full of Holy Ghost traps. Yeah. And that was one of them. And I knew it was. I just could not get out of it. So I'm on the plane, I go down, and I'm now in Holy Trinity Brompton, and my, this guy and his team are there. So there's six of us. And I'm not happy. I'm not happy because, because the guy who's leading worship is singing vineyard songs. Okay, there, I said it. I didn't like vineyard songs. Because they were too slow and too just, <laughs> I just couldn't like it, no. And, and he was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And he had a drummer and the drummer was wearing a, he was wearing it. He was wearing a baseball cap in church. Not only that, but his baseball cap was the other way around. He, he had it like this. And I said, this is not good. This is not, they're not, there's no respect here. There's no honor here. But I'm feeling something. Something I hadn't felt for, a, for years. I'm feeling something and I'm wondering, is that you? Is that you, Lord? Or is... Is it the aircon? What, what is that? <laughs> and then the bishop got up and uh, he explained to us what would happen when the Holy Spirit comes. And I, I was really upset with him because I'm the Pentecostal. <laughs> He's a Church of England bishop. We paid the price for the Holy Spirit. You didn't. Leave the explanations to us. He says, when I pray, when I pray, the Holy Spirit will come. He's a lot posher than me. You can tell this accent's not a posh one. I don't talk like the Queen or the BBC. I talk Northern England. This is what this is, right? But he was from the South. So he's very posh. And he said, when I, when I pray, the Holy Spirit will come. And all kinds of things will happen. People will laugh. People will roll around. People will do this. But I don't want you to worry about it. 
because it's the Holy Spirit. And I said, no, it's not. It is not. When the Holy Spirit comes, we speak in tongues. We prophesy and we might even interpret tongues. That's it. And he said, I'm going to pray. Would you stand? And so I st we stood. And he said, this is prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> that was it. That, that was his prayer. That told me everything right there. This guy hasn't a clue. Does not know. You know, when you, when, when you publicly pray, pray, put some feeling into it. Put some emphasis and don't just, just more than a sentence for goodness sake. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't happy, but obviously the Lord was because, because he did come. And everything he said would happen, happened. And then my friend said, let's go down the front. Let's go down the front and let's ask the bishop if he will pray for us. <laughs> and I looked at him and I went, you've gone mad, haven't you? Yeah, you've gone mad. Right there and then in front of my eyes, you've just gone mad. You're having a psychotic episode and you've gone mad. And he says, yeah, come on, Ken, let's go. And so off they went, and I followed them. Not because I was being led, just peer pressure, that's all it was. I, I just didn't want to be left at the back, so now we're at the front. And, and, and I hear him say to the bishop, we're Pentecostals. And we need God. I, you, you idiot. Just tell him we're a bit dry or we need a touch, but don't tell him we need God. So he says, I would, I would love to pray. I would love to pray for you. Why don't we hold hands? Where's that in the Bible? And let's form a circle. Yeah. So we held hands and we formed a circle at the front of this Anglican church and he joined the circle and here's his second prayer. You'll want to write this one down. It's a killer, I want to tell you. If you thought the first one was bad, this one was really bad. So the first one was what? Come Holy Spirit. Here's the second one. Okay, so here we are in the circle, eyes closed. Father, come and get them. What? What kind of prayer is that? I wasn't impressed. Two seconds later, I was very impressed. Because two seconds later, I am on the floor. And the minute my back hit the floor, I laughed. 
I laughed and I couldn't stop laughing. So I just laughed and then I said, stop. But then I laughed again. And then I said, stop that. And then I laughed again. And then I told myself, I don't want to laugh, but I laughed. And then I thought, I like laughing. And so I laughed again. And then I thought, I think I'll laugh more. And so I laughed more. And then this theological, deep, deep thought came to me. I wonder if I could laugh and roll at the same time. It was worth a try. It was worth a try. So while I'm laughing, I rolled. And I thought, I'm laughing and rolling. I think I'll laugh and roll back again. And so then I did it this way. And before I know it, in the front of an Anglican church that I had judged and criticized, that I'd seen in the paper, I'm at the front laughing and rolling. And then the bishop came. Well, actually, I didn't know it was him at first. I was just, it ebbs and flows because, see, when you roll and laugh, it kind of hurts here a bit. So, and when you don't exercise like me, you know, you've you got to just take five. So I'm having a little bit of a breather from my rolling and laughing. When I feel a presence, I thought it was the Lord. So I opened my eyes, but it wasn't. It was the bishop. He, he was back and he's looking at me like this. He's out, uh, oh, oh, he's there. Ooh. And then he takes his index finger. And he does this. He leans over me and he goes. He did one of them. We don't do that in our church. See? But he did one of them. And he did it right there. Right there, you did that, one of them, right there. And I thought, he's taking advantage now. That's what that, that's what that is. And actually, I didn't think any of that. I just thought, whoa, that is so cool. You see, I, I've been a Pentecostal all my life, all my life. And so you get a kind of into a style of, of blessing people. And as a Pentecostal, it's, who's your color? So, so you grab people by the neck, basically. And, and in case the Holy Spirit's not shaking them, you do. And then you, you make noises and sounds, and everybody's happy. But see, he knew none of that. He hadn't been trained the Pentecostal way. His training was doing that. Just giving people one of them. And I felt blessed. Just so, so blessed. After about two hours, I get up. I walk into Hyde Park in London. It's a bright June, sunny day. And I had a cell phone with me. It was about two foot long. And so I put it on my ear like this. And I called my wife. And I just laughed at her. And she says, are you all right, Ken? 
I said, I've never felt better in all my life. I said, she says, what was it like? I said, well, I said, fantastic. She says, you don't sound like you. I said, I, I don't think I am me. I think something's happened to me. I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm hoping it's God, but I'm not sure. But I'm going back tonight to find out. So I went back that night and more or less the same thing happened. And I'm coming back on the plane. And I said, Lord, that was unbelievable. But when I get home, I won't have to roll and laugh, will I? Not in front of people. That was just for London. I'm going back to Sunderland. I'm going back to my church. And these people pay my salary. They might not want me to roll and laugh. They might find another. And, and the, the Lord totally ignored this conversation. And these questions totally ignored it and, and said, Ken, shut up. I want to ask you a question. How's your heart right now? And I realized I had to do something in order to answer the question. Something I hadn't done for years. I had to look at my heart. I had to examine my heart with him. See, the psalmist says, search me, Lord. And the, the King James translation says, and see if there be any wicked way in me. It's a terrible translation because the Lord never, ever looks for wickedness. Why would he want to look for wickedness? I mean, he doesn't have to reveal wickedness to us because we just know we're wicked. That's our baseline. It's because of the grace of God and the working of God in our life that we know there's hope. So it's not search me, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. It's see if there's any obstacle. See if there's any hindrance. See if there's any reason at all why you cannot fully, you and I cannot fully engage in this intimate walk together. We have to engage in that exercise on a daily basis, every single day. Search me, O oh Lord. Search the deep things and see if there be any obstacle, any hindrance. And so he said, Ken, how's your heart? And I looked at my heart for the first time in years. So I'd looked at numbers, looked at facility, looked at tape sales, offerings. But I hadn't looked at my heart for a long, long time. And I realized actually it's the only place on planet earth where you and God can look together and nobody else. See, Pastor Greg and I have had about three or four conversations now. So I'm kind of, get, I'm, I'm kind of reading them a little bit, just picking up some stuff. But I don't know him. I don't know his heart. I know he's got a good heart, but I don't know his heart. But I'm fully known by him. 
And I cannot examine Pastor Greg's heart. I can't say, hey, Greg, come after, after the meeting, we'll just do some heart examination. You know, that's not my privilege. It's my privilege to examine my heart with him and nobody else. Only him and I. And it's the only place on planet earth where that happens. And so I looked at my heart and realized he was looking at my heart with me. And I said, you know what, Lord? Right now, my heart feels great. And that was the end of the conversation. I didn't know how much I changed. I didn't know how much I needed to change. I didn't know how professional I'd become. I thought, well, we'll just kind of continue on, but it'll just have a little bit more to it. It'll have more of God. But when I went home, I, I didn't want to wear my power suit anymore. I didn't. I wasn't interested in how many people came and I was, my only concern was that we were meeting him. That if we came together, it was to meet with him. My congregation was so impressed with the change. I mean, they must have been dying under me. I mean, I thought they were living under me and and being blessed, but they must have been dying under my leadership. And so, shortly after this, I went on a vacation to Scotland, and a couple of weeks later, I came back, and while, when, I, when I was away, they, they'd taken up a secret offering, and they said, we like what's happening in them. Let's send them to Toronto. They bought a return ticket, so I would come back, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, so it was not just let's send them, you know. So, so they bought me, so they bought me and my wife a ticket. We went to Toronto, spent a week there, and came back. The plan was, and it was a pulpit, a podium exactly like this, exactly like this. And we took our youth leader with us. And when we came back on the Sunday morning, we said, let's do 15 minutes each. And then we'll pray for people. And so Jamie, who was our youth leader, got up. He has 15 minutes. And he, he looks at everybody and he starts to cry. And he said, if, if God lives anywhere on planet Earth, I think I've just been to his house. And he fell on the ground. I'd given him 15 minutes to do that. <laughs> and he took 15 seconds. I said, Lois, you can take a bit longer. Okay. She gets up and she cries. And she said, I love Jesus with all of my heart. And I love you. Boom. <laughs> the two of them had taken half a minute Instead of half an hour. Now it's me, but I'm going to save the day. Because I'm the professional who's becoming very much the amateur. And I know now why they're struggling, because God showed up.
Because there's a presence that we never ever had before. It was tangible. It was heavy. It was thick. And I'm feeling it. And so I'm hold on here because I'm going to fall any minute. And so I'm just talking rubbish, I think. Just, just rubbish. And uh, I can feel myself falling back. So I lift this leg up like this to counterbalance. Like this. So I'm like this in front of everybody. And, and these words come out of my mouth. If you want this, come and get it. <laughs> Stampede. I mean, who would want this? Stampede. I picked these two up. said, come on, we'll pray. We were there at three in the afternoon. And this is what I said. God's here. And he might not be here forever. But while he's here, we should be here to meet with him. So let's come back tonight. So like yourselves, we're not, we didn't have a Sunday night. So let's come back tonight. We were there after midnight. And I said the same thing. God's here. And he might not be here forever. But while he is here, and pleased to meet with us. We should come and meet with him. Let's come back tomorrow night. And I did that for three and a half years every night. And hundreds of thousands of people from all over Europe, mainly. All over the world, but mostly all over Europe came. To that little church in Sunderland. And, and I got well and truly stripped of being an unanointed professional to amateur status and I think with a little bit of anointing now. <laughs> I didn't intend to say that because I do preach actually. I, I, I do preach and I use the word of God when I'm preaching as well. And I, I really felt I had a word for you but then the Lord just kind of just changed it in that, in that sense. So where are we now? We're where you are. Because uh, that was in 1994. So that's 23 years ago. Lois and I have been married for 40 years. 41 years. I love you. And, uh, and we have three daughters. And we're all in ministry together. And we have nine grandchildren. And we have two grannies. My mother-in-law is 88. And my mother is 84. And so there's 18 of us. And we're all a ministry family together. And if I miss out the two... The two grannies, then I am in risk of being killed. <laughs> I just, you, they stalk me on social media. You just need to know that. When I go home, I visit my mom and she says, where have you been? She knows where I've been. I can tell she's been following me. On Facebook, on Instagram, she follows me all the time. Where have you been? What she means is you haven't been here. Yeah, it's real. 
It's real. Even if you're an anointed preacher worldwide, apostolic ministry, it's real. When it comes to your mom, I mean, yeah. You get that right, and the world, the world, you get that wrong, and the world tilts on its axis right there. Hurricanes, fires, everything happens. So, I have two daughters. One has four girls, the other has five children, three boys, and two girls. And, and then we have Rachel, who's 17. So I have a daughter that came 20 years after daughter two. 20 years. Who said wow? Oh, come on, it's worth a wow. Yeah, oh, yeah. That is worth a wow. But a little bit more emphasis, it should be wow. Yeah. We were 45 when Rachel came. 45. And she's 17, so now you know how old we are. Now, we adopted Rachel. We adopted her out of a very difficult situation. She has special needs. And, uh, but it led, us, it led us into a pathway of serving our city along those needs out of the, the prayer room. So Rachel has Asperger's syndrome. She's bipolar. She's ADHD. But she's high-functioning. She's a fabulous musician, worship leader, artist. And we'll go to university next year. But in other areas, <laughs> she's challenged. But it opened the door for us in the city to minister and to serve the city in relation to children in care. And we serve the children in care of the city of Sunderland. So much so that uh, the politicians are coming to us and saying, can you do this for us? Can you do that? And the latest thing they've asked us to do is to is to open up a mother and baby home, but not just a mother and baby home. A mother and baby home for mothers who are, who are still children. And they're in care. So they're having babies at 14, 15, or 16 year old, and they're in the care system. And what would happen normally is they would be encouraged to have an abortion or give their child up for adoption, and then they would be put back into foster care. And they said, we want to break the cycle. We want to give them a chance, but we believe you're the ones that can actually help us as a city to give these girls the chance. We will, yeah, hallelujah. We will, we will pay for every girl that comes in, and, uh, but we want you to staff it. You find the managers, you find the night manager, the day manager, you find the carers, you... You, you provide the facility in, in that sense. You, you produce the program and we will pay you to do it. It's because we have a school that puts school refusers back into mainline education. And they've seen that because our success rate is over 80%. We are the last chance saloon for those kids. They drop out of school then they drop out of the provision that the education authority gives them. And when they drop out of that, they come to us and 80% go back. They saw that. They don't realize it's the power of God. They don't realize it's the Holy Spirit. They just saw that. And so we're transforming our world, but mostly through children in care, children who are dropping out of school, mainly for that, but 
there's, we have a, a dozen things. So we have a prayer room that prays 20 hours a day from six in the morning till 10 at night. We have 20 interns, full-time intercessory missionaries. We take interns from all over the world. We can take you as an intern, then give you back. We'll give you back. <laughs> you can jump in, jump off. You can do whatever you like. Come for as long as you like. But, but we do 20 hours in the prayer room. 20 hours prayer. Sometimes it's hop and ball like I hop. Sometimes it's prophetic intercession. Sometimes it's soaking. Sometimes it's just interceding for a felt need or whatever. And then 20 hours social justice changing the city. And so it's a 2020 perfect vision deal. Amen? And for me, this was our DNA. It wasn't, we don't have a bridal mandate. We don't have a bridal, yeah, we don't have the the bridal mandate that IHOP has. We have some of it. But really it was not to prepare people as the bride not to prepare people as the bride for the bridegroom, but prepare nations for the bridegroom. And so that's the difference in our prayer room. So to be here with you in a convergence house of prayer, or the convergence house of prayer, to be here among people that believe that right at the center of everything has to be prayer, but it has to be constant prayer and when we can do it night and day we don't actually do it through the night on occasions we have 24 hour burns 48 hour burns but we don't do it every you know because we don't feel the Lord actually wants us to do that it's as simple as that but God is changing cities right now and he's doing it really really fast really fast Five years ago, I thought I'd missed it. Five years later, I'm now one of the leaders of this movement in the nations of the world. How's your heart right now? See, you can be a professional intercessor. You can be someone who occupies the prayer room and be professional about it. We can become professional Christians Worshippers, musicians, and singers. But how's your heart right now? And I'm not suggesting you have to laugh and roll or roll and laugh. God just had to smash my stupidity. But maybe something has to die in us in order for us to regain amateur status. Like David when he went to Goliath, All the professionals are there, but not one's anointed. Saul, his brothers, the army, professional warriors, but not one anointed. And this shepherd boy turns up, an amateur. All he does is kill lions and bears with a slingshot. But anointed. And I think what we need in the church right now is a lot of anointed amateurs. I want you to stand to your feet right now.
Wendy, could I have the keyboard, please? Oh, thank you. And I'm going to just pray that something of our professionalism will die today. In the, king, in the year that king, the king, the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And you know, there are things which um, we feel just need to be half dead. <laughs> when in fact, there's no such thing as half dead. You realize that, right? You're either alive or dead. There's no such thing as half dead. But we think there is. We think if we just kill it a little bit. Because I want to hang on. Just want to hang on to some stuff. But it was in the year that King, the King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, and each one had six wings, and two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. That was the seraphim's voice, not the Lord's voice. And the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. In other words, we're all the same. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And the seraphim flew with a fiery coal from heaven and touched his lips. You see, the answer, the solution is always from heaven. It's never on earth. It's always from heaven to earth. Never from earth to earth. And I, I just want every king in my life to die. I never want to pick up professionalism ever again. I'm very happy in my amateur status. I'm very happy seeing the Lord from time to time, glimpsing through a glass darkly and just being given a glimpse of Him where it devastates my life like it did Isaiah but I know I'll never see that if a king lives. It's at the time the king dies, we see the Lord. And we see him in the way that devastates us, that ruins us, whereby we can never, ever, ever do the same stuff, be the same, get satisfaction out of what we've become or what we do. Just lift your hands right now. Lord, as I ask the question, how is your heart right now? And as these unbelievable people examine their hearts with you today, Lord, will you just reveal the kings, whatever they are? Whatever they are, just reveal the kings in our hearts that they might die today. And as the Holy Spirit just reveals 
those kings to you right now. Just ask him to put them to death because you want to see him more fully. You want to see him more than you have in the past. You want to gaze upon him in a way like you've never been able to. And you want it to have such an effect on your life that it's devastating. It just devastates your whole life. And what you were so good at before no longer matters. I'd rather be a lion and a bear killer with a slingshot than a professional soldier clothed in the arm, the armor and not being able to do anything about what needs to happen for the nation or the city or the town or the community. I just impart that right now, Lord. I just impart that grace upon each and every one of every person here in this room. Kill the king. Kill the king in my life that I might see you. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, release that grace upon us right now. Now just receive it. Just receive it. Just receive it. Just receive it. I'm going to hand back to Pastor Greg just now and and uh, and then after when he's finished I'll be here at the front and I'll pray for you I'll pray for as many as want to be prayed for and so if you don't have to go then I'll be here at the front. If you have to go, have a great day as an amateur. As an anointed amateur, have a great day. Come on, give the Lord a great hand of praise. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.